It is good to be with the people of God, uh, to be with you again. We appreciate your prayers for my family as they continue to travel, and some will be home later this week. Let us ask the Lord to uh, bless us here today in the preaching of His Word. Our God and our Father, please allow the words of my mouth and all the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman and redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Son of David. Amen. Amen. So we are beginning an, a new series during the, the church period of the church calendar. Uh, we're looking at and studying in earnest Matthew 28 and just a small phrase or portion of it. And we're going to dive into it deeply. And you say, how can you take a small phase and small phrase and, and get into it deeply? Well, because it's loaded. Matthew 28, you are all familiar with it. And in God's uh, call to us, our great commission to evangelize the world, he tells us to go into all the world, right, making disciples, baptizing them. And then there's this curious thing where he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And you see, that actually requires us then to say, well, what has God commanded? And so we're going to spend the next few months looking at this and studying it earnestly. This, this word observe means to attend carefully to keep one in the state in which he is in. So this, ob this observing of the commandments is to attend to it carefully. So let's look at it carefully together. And then also, the reason for attending to it carefully is to keep us in the state in which we are in. Now what state is that? That is the state of being the people of God. We can be called to be the people of God, and we can not be careful, and we can find ourselves getting into all kinds of difficulty, finding ourselves in discipline and in judgment that could have been avoided. Our scripture today is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that Yahweh your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of Yahweh. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so Yahweh your God chastens you. So here we see in these first few verses quite a bit of detail. 
And of course, one of the things that I want to point out to you right away are a couple of points. Okay, number one, that here, this is Deuteronomy, if you're not clear on this, is actually a sermon of Moses to the people of God. He is now going and he's taking what was given earlier in the, the life of the people of Israel, and he's now going back and he's teaching it. If you look at, at the first stages of the Pentateuch, you see particularly in Exodus and especially in Leviticus that God is the one who is always giving and speaking and teaching. God says, the Lord's God said, Yahweh says. And here we have Moses teaching the people. Part of this is because it is a time of transition. We're coming down to the end of Moses and his leadership, and he is going through and he is teaching the people of God all about God's word. And there's a couple of things here. One, we see the name Yahweh there, and that is that it is their God, specifically named a personal God. And that one of the reasons that he sent them into the wilderness, it seems simply a judgment perhaps when you first look at it, but he says that it was to test them, to know what was in your heart and whether you would keep his commandments. And what does it say? So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. Now this is real important, and I know we're going to be talking about the commands here, but there are two things that we need to understand. First of all, he says that he fed you with manna. This is significant. And it, this is not bread, of course, that they knew or that anyone knew how to get. This was provided by God. And he did this for what purpose? So that he might, might make known to you that man shall not live by bread alone. Today, if I was going to title our sermon today, I would call it Prosperity, Deceitful Bread. If we are going to carefully observe and attend to and preserve our place as the people of God to be obedient to God, we need to recognize that there is true bread and there is deceitful bread. And the deceitful bread that God warns about in Deuteronomy chapter 8 has gripped the church and I would argue probably all of us at one time or another where we are pursuing prosperity and the lessons and the focus of prosperity rather than the commands of God. So let us consider this. I, I don't know that I've preached a sermon here yet where there hasn't been some connection to Genesis chapter 1. I mentioned this, I don't know, several months ago, but I think, I think it's very important and it applies right here. First of all, we need to understand that we are living hungry. Everyone is hungry. And this is important for us to recognize that we are hungry in so many different ways. But it is not a bad thing. To be hungry is not bad. God actually created Adam and Eve hungry. Consider Genesis uh, and at verse 26, it says this, Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have the dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, 
over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, he's speaking to Adam. He said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields it, to you shall it be for food. Now, this is important. Why is it that right after creation, the first thing that God is interacting, after he gives the command to be fruitful and multiply, like that's the overarching goal, now I have to deal with the practical sense of your... I made you and you're already hungry. And he says, you're going to need food. And so this is what you are to eat. And he goes on and says, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given you every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now it's interesting in this, this being hungry, he created man hungry and gives instruction for it. And he does what? He has created hunger, which is a reoccurring need. God teaches us his principles from his creation. We eat and become satisfied, and then we become hungry again. We cannot live without ongoing bread but more importantly, we cannot live without the very words of God. Now consider this. If we, uh, if we say that this is what we are made for, we, we're, we're going to be hungry. We need to be hungry for God's word. We're going to be hungry for bread and food. We can see the fulfillment of the need of hunger in Revelation chapter 7, verse, beginning of verse 15. Therefore... They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither, what, hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Why is that? Guess what? The sun won't strike them anymore. Why is that? Well, the sun, the, stu the, the moons, the stars, those are all things God set up as authority structures to rule the day, to rule the night. That's also imagery of other leaders in the world. They are no more. Why? Because the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When we are in complete con contact with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we are in His eternal presence, we're not going to hunger anymore. Why? Because the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself, fills our need. But that is not just for a time for later. It is also for now. We live in a world, though, that has embraced a Platonistic view that the created order and that which is rational exists in a different dimension than the spiritual However, God created the world and everything in it, and it was good. And he created man in his own image, and it was very good. 
When Christ was resurrected, he began the restoration of all of the cosmos, not just a spiritual thing for us to somehow go from this wicked world up into this spiritual ethereal thing over there. No, he has called us to live in this world, and he is restoring all of the cosmos. Now, we are only able to complete the task that we have been created for by following God's word. We are raised to life in Christ with a renewed and empowered direction of the Great Commission to be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion, and to subdue and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what, you say? With worshipers of the living triune God. We are called to live in this world not as if we are new creatures who are divided, but rather to live in the understanding that on the last day all things will be restored and heaven, that's God's eternal throne room, and earth, the created order, will no longer be separated by the curtain of the firmament. Again, God instructs us about himself through all creation. We live hungry, but we do not simply have hunger for bread. God has created us for the purpose of relationship with him. Now I'm going to digress just for a minute and jump over here for just a second in John chapter 1 and then come back in. So just bear with me for a moment. It'll seem a little obtuse, but it will come together. For our second point, we're considering Jesus, the Logos, the Word, and manna. And it says in John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and tabernacle, that is, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And again, I would argue this word dwelt really is tabernacle, and you'll see its application here in a minute. Commentaries, um, and, and by the way, this is, comes from a commentary uh, by uh, James Jordan, and he says this, Commentaries on John discussing the word logos, in John 1, routinely turn to Greek philosophy and say that John is using a term and at least part of an idea familiar in the ancient world. John is showing the Christian truth that is dimly seen in philosophical concepts. Now this fascination with the supposed Greek context of the word logos can be blinding to its profound biblical root. The Hebrew word or the Hebrew word for word, is the bar. And a variant of this is the beer. The word the beer is used for the holy of holies or inner shrine. That is God's throne room in the temple, although not inside the tabernacle. And so we see this in a variety of places in 1 Kings, in 2 Chronicles, and in the Psalms. And at a glance, all these passages indicate that it is the room itself, that is the word, is the room itself. It is the tabernacle, the place where we go to meet God. It is the place of, of going into God's presence here on earth. Now, if you hold on to that and you think about that application as Jesus in this way, and we go back to John 1, and we translate the Greek word logos as the holy of holies, we get a strikingly pregnant series of associations and meanings think about it this way in the beginning was the holy of holies and the holy of holies was with god and the holy of holies was god this one was in the beginning with god 
Jesus is the Holy of Holies. To enter into the Holy of Holies is to enter into Christ himself to become one with him. The, the Holy of Holies, the room where God dwells, is God himself. God dwells within himself. You can go back and look at our uh, sermon on Trinity Sunday to consider that further. And all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came to being that has come into being. All of this, I, I want us to just say, okay, take this thought. Think about how Jesus is the word. We are to live by the word. We are to live by the words of God. We are to be reconciled to God through the word. And Jesus is the word. And this is very interesting because what is in that holy of holies? Well, it's the ark. Right? And we understand that, that sins are forgiven there for all the people. But interestingly to say this is that one of the items that's inside the ark is the golden pot of manna. What is manna? Manna is the gift of life mediated through food. This is important. Manna is the gift of life mediated through food so we have both forgiveness of sins in christ and in that is the word and that word is bread jesus is the bread of life and he brings us life and it's actually also mediated through food sort of like what we're going to do over here a little bit later i would i would want us to think about this as it relates to being at church every week when we draw into the church for worship we see the elders, we hear the word, and we eat the sacramental manna. Thus, we come into contact with the created manifestations of the eternal holy of holies, or Jesus Christ. I say all this, and it sounds like, man, you're just kind of going sideways here. When we go through a little more into Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think you'll see that it kind of connects, but this is important for us. We need to understand that we, we need to look at God's word and interpret it in connection to God's word itself. Be wary about attaching other philosophies, Greek or otherwise, to it. So we go on in Deuteronomy chapter 8 in verse 6, and it says, Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of Yahweh, your God, to walk in his ways and fear him. Now, remember, these are commandments of who? Yahweh, who? Your God. For Yahweh, your God, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys of the hills, and a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, the land of olive oil and honey, a land which, excuse me, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will be lacking nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless. That word bless there means to uh, kneel down to acknowledge with praise from a position of submission and gratefulness to Yahweh, your God. Who? The personal God, Yahweh, who is your God. For the good of the land which he has given you. Now this is interesting because he mentions 
the things that you need for, for bread, wheat and barley, and you won't lack anything. And then he also mentions fig, olive, and the grapevine. All of those are considered in the scriptures the three noble trees. God is bringing them in. He is providing for them. And he is raising them up, taking them. Remember, they came out of the land of Egypt, the place of slavery, and here they are being raised up. And they're being given much. They're not just being having their sins forgiven, but they are doing so, and they are to go into the land and be fruitful and multiply and fill it and make it grow. But there is, of course, the warning about false bread. Verse 11 says, beware. Now this word beware here means to keep, to guard, observe, to give heed, to even save a life. So in this way, we should beware for the preservation of life. That you do not forget, that is, cease to care. That is what this word forget here means. That Yahweh, your God, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. So, okay, we've got all these things. Don't, don't forget these things. Don't stop caring. And there's, there's commandments, judgments, and statutes. Why, why does God talk about all of this? Well, this word commandments here kind of lends itself to the code of wisdom. It's how to get along in your daily life. His judgments is to understand that God has a correct view of what justice is. In our culture today, there are all kinds of people calling for justice, but most of those folks have differing views of what justice is, but there is actually, in God's judgments, a correct view of what justice is. And his statutes are ordinances. They are to limit things. It is something prescribed or appointed. God gives direction to us. And he gives all of these things to them today. And it, it, there's suddenly there in verse 12... This warning, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget, remember that has ceased to care, that Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, that is slavery or sin, who you led through, uh, who led you through a great, that is intensity and terrible wilderness and fiery serpents. By the way, when we see serpent in the scripture, that is, that should point us back to Genesis. What is the serpent? It's Satan. And in this case, he led them not only through physical serpents, but also little fiery Satans, if you will, and scorpions and and into a thirsty land where there was no water. And this God, Yahweh, brought water out for you out of the flinty, that is the hard rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. Then you will say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Now this is really, really important here. 
If we don't follow God's word, if we don't strive to know it, if we don't drive and make God's word central in our life, other bread, other things will come into our, our lives. And when God's blessings and prosperity come upon us, we begin to think that it is our own doing. And what causes this? It's because when our stomach is full, you know, we're very blessed. We live in a, in a day and age and in a part of the world where generally most of us in this room, if we become physically hungry, it is only momentarily. Through most of history and still to a great deal of the world today, they get up every day and there are two things on their mind. Where am I going to get water and where am I going to get food? And am I going to have water this afternoon and food this afternoon? And am I going to have water and am I going to have food in six months? They are constantly living in that place. We, however, live on the other side of that. Largely, we go to the spigot and turn it on. And I know some of you have Berkey's and some of you buy bottled water and all of that. But we have access to water. Right? If we're hungry, we go to the store. We don't think about this. And so there is a, there is a double concern for us who have such ease of access of meeting our physical needs that we forget. For those that are every moment of every day thinking and planning about how am I going to physically live, they are much more likely to say, God, help me with this. Right now, we all go to different kinds of jobs throughout the week. And are we living it with God's word at the center of it, considering his code of wisdom, the right view of justice? or the prescribed instruction of his word to help us determine what kind of work we do and how we do that work, or how we do the laundry, or how we obey our parents' children? Are we thinking about this in terms of God's word itself? And God, in all of this, he gave them spiritual food, his commandments, and physical food. It is very important that we not fall into the trap of being elevated to think it is our own strength, our own talents, our own opportunities. It's the fact that we know this person ourselves and that's what gave us and, and helped us to become so successful. We, we, the, the false prosperity or the false bread of prosperity causes us to elevate man. We need to consider Proverbs chapter 30 verse 21. For three things, the earth is perturbed. That is, it trembles, it quakes, it is agitated. Yes, four, it cannot bear up. That is, it can't carry or sustain it. And that is this. For a servant when he reigns, listen, people of God, a fool when he is filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. You know, we recognize those other three pretty easily. Yeah, we get how that works, why those would be bad. But why is a fool who, who is full, why is that one of the four things in which the earth quakes? It's so terrible. It's because when a person is foolish, when they disregard the commands of God, and they're not hungry, they're not driven, 
to repentance. We see also that this is not a new problem. Proverbs 8.13 tells us this, The fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance are the evil way and the perverse of the mouth I hate. Now, the, the connection here is simply this, that pride and arrogance drives an evil way. And it brings about perverseness of the mouth. The words of the mouth are perverse because of pride and arrogance. Proverbs 13.25 says this, The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul. He's eating the commands of God and that helps him and guides him. But the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. They pursue things and then in a minute they're hungry again. There is no satisfaction. There is no comfort. Proverbs 18.20, the man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, I'm going to read verse 22 in a second, but I want to, I want to read verse, verses 20 and 21 again. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. Well, what is coming out of his mouth? Is it his own thoughts or the thoughts of God? From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we can speak life, God's word, his commands, or we can speak death, man's view, and man's words. But those that, who, who love life, those who love it, will eat its fruit. It's very interesting. In that same group of verses, verse 22 says this. It's connected. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. I only bring that up in the context of saying the words that you use, if you bring life, you'll attract a good wife. You'll find favor from your personal God. And if you are married, if you speak God's word, you are going to be blessed. She will be blessed, and you, in the same way, will be blessed. This brings up the question, how then shall we live? Matthew 13, 18 says this, Now therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside, but he who received the seed on stony places, and this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he immediately stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world, that is, looking at everything else, looking for prosperity, looking for false bread, and the deceitfulness of the riches choke out the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Now, this is important. We're talking about making disciples, being fruitful, multiplying, right? The, the things of this world can choke us and keep us from being fruitful. But he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. If you want to do what God has created you to do, you need to make God's word the very center of your life. Do not let other 
things, other words, other concepts, drive your decision-making processes. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Make God's word your treasure. Everything else passes away. And by the way, men, your wives are eternal beings. Are you treasuring them? Are you giving them? Are you feeding them God's word? Wives and mothers, your children are eternal beings. They're the things that are going to last. Are you feeding them God's word, his commands? his precepts and teachings. For they are the things that will last eternally. And of course, we see in many other places about not worrying, not because God is providing for us. Now, it's important in all of this that that we understand that we're not talking about, I, I mentioned this in the beginning, and here's where it's going to swing back around for you, Okay, we, God created us to live in this world, and he did create us to work. So I'm not in any way saying, okay, there's two sets of places that you live in the world. You've got your spiritual things, so you've got to go over here and spend all this time, and you just talk to your kids about the Bible. Yes, teach them all the scriptures. But then also, you're going to teach them about the trees, and you're going to teach them about safety, and you're going to teach them all these other things. And, in fact, you're going to teach them to work. See, we think that somehow work and the things we have to do are separated from the spiritual things. There is no distinction. There is only one, life in God, that is both the word and action. Exodus 34, 21 tells us, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And in Proverbs 13:22, a good man leaves behind an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. I only bring that up as those are not in conflict with what we think are the commands and directions of God. But know God's word. Now in all of this, the central thing is thanksgiving in God's commands. If we go back to verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, says when you have eaten and are full then you shall bless Yahweh your God for the good land which he has given you what is he doing you come with thankfulness and when you are full this is why we should pray before our meals we thank God for that are you thanking God for for the mind that he's giving you for the strength that he's giving you for the job that he's giving you for the fact that your children have their toys, are you thankful for that when you step on them in the middle of the night? <laughs> but are you teaching them to be thankful? And are you thankful? Are you communicating that? Thankful to God, Yahweh, your God, because he has given you these things. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And these words which I command you today will be, shall be in your heart. And you shall what? Teach them diligently to your children. 
and you shall talk of all of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And you know, when we hear that and, and we think, okay, that's for moms and dads alone. But it is certainly more than that. It's for husbands to wives. Right? We see that in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. We all know that. But we oftentimes don't look at verse 26. That he, that is Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her, who's that? The church, with the washing of the water by the word. We are commanded, husbands to work and help our wives to sanctify her and to cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word. That is the word of God. For what purpose? That he might present her to himself a glorious church. How? By the washing of the word. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Man, you are called to disciple your wives and to wash them with the word. And don't use the word of God like a hammer. God doesn't do that to you. Don't do that to your wife. But it's even more than that. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, When I, Paul, that's Paul, call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. We see here, that the faith, the teachings of God's word came from the grandmother and the mother to Timothy. Wives, mothers, grandmothers, it is also for you to teach your children God's word and to keep it central in all that you do. Titus 2 teaches us that older men and women should be teaching the younger, which I believe is not just about age, although that is the general context, but it is also about experience in faith and word. And so for you, if, you don't, if you're not married and you don't have kids, you might say, oh, great, all this stuff you're talking about doesn't do anything for me. No, sir. No, ma'am. You are to know God's word, and you are to be fruitful and multiply, not just in biological children, but also in the people of God around you. You are to make disciples, and you are to teach others the commands of God and how to observe them. That is your calling, to be fruitful and multiply and make disciples of all nations. We see in Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing praise to Yahweh, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. In your prosperity, don't be moved off of the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us this, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it is telling you, rejoice always, that's giving thanks in everything. Why? So that you keep God's word and God and his plan for you central. We also see that this is important as it relates to word and sacrament. That is, coming into the house of the Lord and worshiping. 
Psalm 122 verse 1 says, A song of ascents of David. And it says this, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. We need to come in here and hear God's word preached and teached and taught, I guess I should say. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 also admonishes us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. By the way, our confession is in the hopes and promises of God's word, keeping it central there so we won't waver. For he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider one another, that is, take God's word to one another. In order to, for what purpose? To stir up love and good works. And in all of those things, you can't just do that at your homes, although that is important and a piece of it for sure. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We are called to come in the house of God, to worship God together, to hear His word, and to submit ourselves to it, and then go out making disciples in your homes and in the community abroad. And of course, we see also the sacraments. Again, swinging back around to Matthew chapter 28, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. People of God, we should be baptizing both children into the covenant and professing believers. In the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have baptism as a, sacra as a sacrament. And we also see in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What is this idolatry, by the way? I'm going to argue it's prosperity. It's believing any other command. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread in which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. And of course, this is talking about communion. We are joined to Christ through the bread. We, we memorialize what he did, and we are at peace with God in this meal. But we are joined one to another. We cannot forsake coming together because to do communion detached or in your own place without the people of God is not how it should be done. We need to understand that we need to follow the directions of God's word, the commands of God's word. And finally, I want to point out to us that we should keep God's word central in eating and feasting. Again, because God taught us, he made us hungry, and he taught us, he provided food for us spiritually through his words of life, and then also through bread. And so we should at all times, when we are together and eating food, God's word should be amongst what we say and what we're talking about. And you shall observe, in Exodus 34, 22, it says this, And you shall observe the feast of the weeks of the first free fruits of the harvest and the feast of the ingathering at the year's end. Three times a year all your men shall appear before the Lord. That is there, that word Lord there is master of the earth. Because it then goes on to say, Yahweh God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you. That is, the unbelievers. And enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before Yahweh your God three times a year. 
This is important because we need to understand that there are called feasts. There are times for us to celebrate every time you have a party. Christ should be at the center of it and his word should be present. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were struck. Man, we're in a bad position. But they're here to feast, to hear God's word. And this is what they said. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and to rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. This is important, not just for when you go home and you're eating and you're talking to your kids and you're talking to one another and the fellowship that will be had later today and throughout this week. But also, if you've heard the word of God today and you're saying, wow, I'm lacking in some area, we need to remember this, that we should go our way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send our portions to those who don't have anything prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how great and marvelous you are. You have in your sovereign mercy and your grace made us your people and given us great promises in your word for time and eternity. And you have assured us that you will never leave us nor forsake us so that we may boldly say, I shall not fear what man may do to me. Help us to order and live according to order our lives and to live according to your word. Teach us to walk by true faith in which we submit to your word, and to take all our actions in accordance to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.